Is this the way to Europe, France? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't. I I don't know. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a nautical. I'm not a nautical person, but I'm pretty sure that's not how you say it. <laughs> it's definitely how I'm going to be saying it from now on. <laughs> is this the way to Texas, Austin? Yeah. Is this the way to love my heart? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's find the way to start the show then. <laughs> let's do it. I'm Shira, and I'm a fan of romantic comedies. I'm Brett, and I'm a fan of horror movies. Together, each week, Brett makes me watch a horror movie, I make him watch a rom-com, and then we like to rewrite and flip-flop those genres around and turn that rom-com into a horror, and the horror into the rom-com. And this week, we are doing movies that have been adapted from page to screen. Ooh, interesting. Do you like books, Brett? Not, no, not anymore. But reading is fundamental. I guess. I don't know. I used to read a lot as a kid, but now I just, I'm such a slow reader and it makes me so sleepy and I get lost in the book because I just keep thinking, how would this look as a movie? And then... That's why you have to read. Reading can give you a lot of inspiration for your next film. A lot of the sort of what I like to call research for my romantic plots comes from the romances that I read. Because a lot of them, uh, especially modern writers, are influenced by the romantic comedies that we all grew up on. And they have that similar feel. Also, Netflix seems to be making a boatload of money from adapting uh, teen rom-com novels into uh, movies. So there's something to that. Yeah, I definitely see a lot of Netflix rom-coms being being made recently. Yeah, and a lot of them, like uh, To All the Boys I Loved Before, are adapted from books. Uh, and I think the same thing has happened with other genre stuff, like sci-fi in particular, uh, you see a lot of books adapted to movies, especially YA, like uh, The Hunger Games, for example. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense because world building, you can do a lot of world building in books um, for a very cheap amount of money compared to the world building it takes to make a Hollywood big budget movie. Um, yeah. I think that you chose the white whale of horror page to screen adaptations i feel like 
no one gets adapted more than Stephen King. I can't think of any other horror writers. I mean, sure, there are a few Jack Ketchum adapted movies and, um, you know, one-off things. Like, I think The Exorcist was a novel before yeah. it was a movie. Um, but no author has been adapted no horror author has been adapted more than Stephen King. I feel like. Yeah. He's got a lot of books and he's got a lot of movies and (laughs) I don't know. I think maybe some of them are a little better than others. Um, But he's an interesting guy. (laughs) That's for sure. He makes me terrified of going to Maine. I just assume that everything Stephen King writes about Maine is true. There are going to be cars that come to life. Um, If you accidentally die and are buried in a graveyard, you might come to life. Uh, There's probably vampires. There's clowns in the storm drain. Um, you know, everywhere you look, there's danger. Is that, and Stephen ever, King got hit by a car. That's not even supernatural. That's true. Uh, did you, and he survived the filming of uh, Maximum Overdrive unscathed. I don't think everyone can say that. I think there were some injuries on that set. I mean, so that's the physical side, but then right. also there's the alcohol and drug abuse that he survived by writing more stories. Yeah, I don't know where this fits into the um, into the the cocaine binge that he was on, but I don't know. I I I like him. I've read a few of his books. I like him. I guess. I I feel like Stephen King is kind of the great equalizer, but I will ask you this. Who do you think is the Stephen King of romance adaptations? I have two answers for you, but I, I want to see if you can guess. Mm. Ro- um, I don't know. Who, who, this, this was Howard, uh, Howard Hawks, right? Uh, yeah, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, mm. which is the other movie we did. Hmm. The The first name that comes to my mind would be Billy Wilder. I don't know. Well, no, I'm not talking about directors. I'm saying which writer oh, has which been adapted. Yeah, which book writer or writer in general has been adapted, has had their romantic stories adapted more than anybody else and over and over again. I'm sure that there are people, but at the moment I, I, I don't read as much anymore. I don't, if if you, (laughs) if this was a, if this was a multiple choice question, I'm sure I could do okay on it. If this was like second round of, of who wants to be a millionaire. I won't I won't challenge you anymore. We're we're on family feud level of challenge, which is no challenge at all. Um and I think that the two people who have their romantic stories adapted more than else are Shakespeare. Uh, uh and um, every yeah, every yeah. version <laughs> under the sun uh of um for example The Taming of the Shrew, there's at least three different movie versions, modern adaptations, Emma, 
I mean, well, sorry, no, that I got my wires crossed. So Shakespeare is one of those people. We never get tired of Shakespeare comedies and they're always marriage comedies. And then also the other thing that we never get tired of in romance is Jane Austen adaptations. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Jane, I would say that Jane Austen is to romance adaptations what Stephen King is to horror adaptations. Although I didn't choose, um, you know, a giant for my movie. I chose Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, which did have a longer journey to screen, where it was a it was a short novel written in the twenties, and then it became a musical, and then it became a movie and even before it became a musical i think they made a comic strip because people were so enamored with the characters of lorelei and dorothy i mean they wanted to read it every sunday <laughs> i i honestly i could see how this would be like sitcom or or i think both of these stories maybe even would would benefit from a more long format the Mist was a TV show. I think it got canceled, though. Yeah, I think it got canceled pretty quick. <laughs> so a good TV show. Um, right. I I would see a gentleman prefer Blonde's TV show. There is there is a audience for that, and I'm in that audience. Yeah, even like a web series. I'm surprised no one's done like a modern retelling via like Quibi. Why doesn't Quibi jump on it? You know, I could see that. And they've done that already with Pride and Prejudice, for example, where somebody decided to do a modern take of Pride and Prejudice as a YouTube series where people would talk into their webcams and and move the, the modern version of the plot. So I think that there is a format for that. Absolutely. Yeah, I can definitely see that because the best part about the best part about both of these movies is that they're they're wacky scenarios but the characters are making strong decisions based on their characters you know even yeah. if their characters are one-dimensional they're they're making consistent choices based on their character right even the people who are playing the doubters in both of these movies make consistent choices for themselves uh, like uh, Andre Brower's character yeah. in The Mist, uh, or the lawyer representing Lady Beekman. They fulfill their role of doubting so perfectly. Yeah, I agree. Um, so, where do you want to? Oh, I was go just going to ask you is there a certain movie you want to start with? Or... Ooh, I could go either way because uh, I, I have a feeling I'm going to enjoy discussing both of these movies. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm pretty open to either either one. Let's do Gentlemen first. All right. Let's do it. All right. Tell us the story, Brett. All right. Well, first of all, have you ever read the book, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes? No, but I hear that it's a little bit racier than the Whoa. movie because it was written in the 20s in like before the production code. Uh, and I think that it's it's a little bit more um, overt that Lorelai is using and abusing men for their money. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. She's uh, a little criminal. A, a little. I think she's she's very criminal. But she's so... She's so... I don't know. She's so Marilyn. What is she, <laughs> Mr. Dorman? Uh, she's, she's something, all right. <laughs> um... <laughs> Well, so we start out, I know how much you like your opening musical numbers. We start out with uh, Laura Lee and Dorothy, played by Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell. And they're showgirls. And they're singing. And they're dancing. Yeah, they've got the uh, Jim Carrey from The Mask would fit right in here, right? Um, they're, They're singing. They're dancing. They're having a good time. Lorelai has a passion. We learned this very quickly. Lorelai has a passion for diamonds, believing that attracting a rich husband is one of the few ways a woman a woman can succeed economically. And she is engaged to Gus Esmond, a naive nerd willing to do or buy anything for her. Uh, however, Gus is under the basically the control of his wealthy upper-class father. And Dorothy, on the other hand, is looking for a different kind of love. She's much more attracted to that <laughs> physical attraction. The Himbos. Uh, yeah, the, the good-looking guys who, you know, she prefers a guy who can outrun her because she, she does not want a guy who's going to stick around. So we have two different types of ladies. Uh, and the wacky scenario, the, uh, the, the, the sitcom premise of the half hour is basically they have to go on a boat and they have to go to France, uh, Europe, Europe, France. France. And uh, Mr. Esmond Sr. wants to stop his son from marrying Lorelai. And so in order to do that, what he's basically doing is he's putting her on a boat full of rich people and then trying to get evidence that she's cheating on her uh, on her fiance. So. Uh, I, I always get the names. I, I'm not good with names. So, Malone. Oh, yeah. Well, so Dorothy is going on the boat with her. And she is going to chaperone and sort of keep men away from her, but also keep her away from men. Absolutely not. She's She throws it out there. Nobody chaperones the chaperone. And she's so unapologetically horny. She's just ready to get hers. Well, yeah, so her her mission technically is to keep Lorelai out of trouble, but uh, she, she's kind of enamored with some of the other sites, some of the... The uh, Olympic team, the U.S. <laughs> Olympic team. Right, so uh, on the other hand, we do have Malone. As you mentioned, Malone is a private detective hired by Esmond Sr., and he's there to spy on Lorelai and... Uh, I see this is where some of the movie gets a little shaky for me just in terms of like I couldn't tell if this was just bad writing or writing for the time but immediately Malone falls in love with Dorothy and Dorothy kind of is she treats him as though she already kind of knows him and she's willing to accept his advances very quickly She's just a casual kind of lady. She sees him. She clocks that he's attractive enough for her. And she's she's down with it. All right. So he's a good looking guy that uh, Elliot Reed 
Um, but I mean, very... I don't think Elliot Reed is that handsome, but he's, we're he's supposed to, man. we're supposed to believe it for this. Right. Uh, Lorelai meets the rich and foolish Sir Francis, quote unquote, Piggy Beekman, and he chooses voluntarily to offer up the nickname Piggy. That's not a nickname that he's denying. He's very proud of the Piggy nickname. Uh, right, right. I did you also catch that he basically is mining blood diamonds in the Congo? Yeah, so he is the owner of a diamond mine and she's attracted to his wealth, but it's very clear that I mean, the only way they're getting diamonds at this point, especially a guy like Piggy is conflict diamonds. They're only getting those blood diamonds and Mr. Piggy is the perfect embodiment of just a guy who doesn't care about anything, even his wife, he just wants to get laid a few more times. Um, so, you know, Lorelai is very interested in Piggy. Piggy's very interested in Lorelai. Uh, but Piggy is also married to Lady Beekman, who is a very rich and snobbish and snooty lady. It's very kind of quote unquote boomer humor you know husbands and wives don't really get along um but also they're not they're not very likable characters uh, well it just drives home what a despicable person he is and right. what it and being a despicable person he's incapable of accurately judging what kind of person Lorelai is and so the idea that they could meet and he could walk away and say I know you're not interested in money it's just so delightfully absurd <laughs> uh so Lorelai invites Piggy to the cabin she shares with Dorothy, and he recounts his travels to Africa while Piggy demonstrates how a python squeezes a goat by hugging Lorelai. Malone spies on them through the window and takes pictures of the two. What he doesn't notice is Dorothy sees him doing this as he walks away nonchalantly. He does the very cartoony thing of just looking up and whistling with his hands in his pockets. He's the worst detective. He was <laughs> not subtle at all. No, it, I, this movie is very cartoony, so I'll give it that. I, I did like how he just walked away from the window. The round windows. Marilyn is Bugs Bunny in drag. Oh, for sure. Uh, definitely. Uh, not quite as attractive, but she does her best. <laughs> uh, so she tells Lorelai who, about the, uh, the, the spying and plotting and picture taking. And she becomes scared, of course, because her marriage to a rich man is now in jeopardy. They come up with a, a scheme to intoxicate Malone and then search him to, rec to recover the incriminating files or the film while he's unconscious. So they check his coat. They get they his coat. They almost kill him. Right. They <laughs> they do a good job of, of the unconscious part. So they, uh, they get his coat off, not in his coat. So now they got to get his pants off. Very quickly, these two good-looking ladies are able to remove his pants. And yeah, they, they find the film and they hide the negatives. Uh, now, 
Revealing her success to Piggy, she persuades him to give her Lady Beekman's tiara as a thank you. So basically, she's she's blackmailing Piggy to give him the tiara that she didn't even really know what a tiara is. He doesn't even see it as blackmail, though. He's like, oh, bless your heart. Yeah, he's revealing this to me. He is happy to be blackmailed. He would love to be blackmailed. He's probably given out his information. I mean, I I know they don't have chat rooms back then, but if they did, he's probably in chat rooms like, here's all my information. Please blackmail me. Piggy would fall for a phishing scam. There's no doubt about that. He's into it. So they openly talk about how they stole the film and how they're basically having an affair or about to have an affair, what what have you. And Malone sneaks into their room and reveals that he's planted a ginormous recording device in her cabin. And he's heard the discussion with Piggy about the pictures and the tiara. And so Malone implies that Lorelai is a gold digger. And when Dorothy scolds him for this, admits that he himself is a liar. However, Dorothy reveals to Lorelai... <laughs> That she is falling for Malone. I don't know why, but she is. Sure. Because he's hot and poor, and that's what Dorothy likes. She's got a type. Uh, after she's which... homosexual. <laughs> uh, Lorelai chastises her for choosing a poor man when she could easily have a rich one. Uh, finally, the ship arrives in France, and Lorelai and Dorothy spend time shopping. However, they're kicked out of their hotel and discover Lorelai's letter of credit has been canceled due to the information Malone shared with uh, Esmond's father, Esmond Sr. When Gus shows up at their show, Lorelai rebuffs him, after which she performs Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Iconic. Very iconic. I mean, yeah, this I could see why... This mu- this musical number maybe overshadowed and made the movie is you know what it is. It's a it's a good musical number. It's been just replayed so many times, and most recently <laughs> in uh, Birds of Prey with Harley Quinn, except she's wearing a uh, jumpsuit instead of a dress. Uh, this is really bad, but I recently watched Birds of Prey, and I can't. Mm-hmm remember that scene i don't know i didn't think it was a bad movie did you see it no i haven't seen it yet i just i've heard i've seen the clips from that scene and the scene where she gives a hair tie to another person while they're fighting oh right yeah i I don't know it was it was all right um so Yes, Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. Uh, If you're not familiar with the song, you probably are. You just don't remember you are. Uh, Lady Beekman, however, has filed charges regarding her missing tiara, and Lorelai is arraigned for theft. Dorothy persuades Lorelai to return the tiara, but the pair discover it is missing from her jewelry box. Ah, so uh, Lorelai's, Lorelai's stolen tiara has been stolen. Oh, the humanity. Uh, Piggy tries to weasel out of his part in the affair when Moan catches him at the airport. And this is where things get super silly. However, at this point, I'm down for it. Uh, uh, Dorothy stalls for time in court by pretending to be Lorelai. So we get uh, we get Jane Russell as Marilyn Monroe, which is an easy She's way. She's hilarious. 
easy way to get good laughs out of someone. It's not a lazy way. It's just an easy, good way. Have a famous star pretend to be another famous star. It's it's foolproof. It's flawless. It's great. Uh, Dorothy does a very good job of pretending to be Lorelai, mimicking her breathy voice and mannerisms. Uh, when Malone appears in court and is about to unmask Lorelai as Dorothy, she reveals to Malone in quote-unquote covert language that she, Dorothy, loves him but would never forgive him if he were to do anything to hurt his best friend Lorelai. So Malone immediately withdraws his comments, but then reveals Piggy has the tiara and thus proving Lorelai is innocent and freeing her. So... Back at the nightclub, Lorelai impresses Esmond Sr. with the speech on the subject of paternal money and also makes an argument that if Esmond Sr. had a daughter instead of a son, he would want the best for her, to which he agrees and consents to his son's marriage to Lorelai. The film closes with a double wedding for Lorelai and Dorothy, who marry Esmond and Malone, respectively. And that's where we peace out, on a double wedding. Oh, but... The shot that we end on is the camera zooming in, cutting off Esmond and Malone, and it's just Dorothy and Lorelai. Because in the end, the men don't even matter. We just wanted to see these two little girls from Little Rock from the wrong side of the tracks make it all the way to the top. Yeah, no, I agree. The the men don't really matter as much. And at the end of the day, they they don't spend a lot of time doting on it, right? They just kind of, they're there. They're for the plot. They, you know, they get used. Then they get rewarded. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I at the, by the end of the movie, I was like, all right, sure. Double wedding. Everyone lives happily ever after. Uh, yeah, that's the kind of movie it is. I'm, I'm, I'm down for it. Yeah, I... I like, though, that this is one of those movies. So a lot of times in a romantic comedy and in a horror movie, too, I like to see character growth. I like to see the person end up in a different place from where they were at the beginning of the movie. For example, in The Mist, there is a lot of character growth and people evolve over the course of the mist taking over and things change. But nobody in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes changes. Lorelai is never made to redeem herself. She is duplicitous and mercenary the entire time. Uh, And Dorothy, for her part, keeps it completely real Neither of them are forced to change who they are fundamentally to get what they want. Uh, And they have a lot of fun while doing it. So it's kind of fun to watch them. And I'm sure you noted that they embodied what to me is a strong female character, which is women who help other women. And they always put each other first above anything having to do with the men in the movie. They're never in competition with each other at any point in the film. They're always helping each other. Yeah. I mean, if this movie was more about the quote unquote romance or the romantic aspect of the movie, I probably would have 
actively disliked it but it's not about the romance it's about the women it's about the friendship it's about the antics and so i i mean i'm not gonna lie i I wasn't really a huge fan of this movie i just couldn't get into it but i mean i could definitely like i can see the appeal you know like i said it's fun to watch strong well-defined characters make strong well-defined choices and these characters go throughout the whole thing you know, not just doing what would be funny in the moment, but doing what their character would do in the moment. And that's, uh, I, yeah, I agree that it's not maybe as well streamlined as a modern Hollywood movie might be. But it, yeah, it's just people on a boat having a good time. But from from a cinematic perspective, I feel like this movie does what you usually complain rom-coms don't do which is actually put some intention into the way the film looks and not just shoot the shots to tell the story, but also telling an interesting visual story as well from the way that Marilyn and Jane are, are costumed throughout the movie to the way that they film some of those musical sequences, uh, which have a very busy Busby Berkeley feel. Uh, I wrote in my notes, for example, uh, the audacity of putting men in flesh-colored shorts for the ain't there anyone here for love scene. Again, oh, when, when they walked by for the first time, I was like, holy shit, are they in jock straps? Like, whoa, did I just see, <laughs> did I just see some bottoms, some Olympic bottoms? And then it took me a while to realize, oh, no way. Yeah, that's just flesh covered. That is very bold. Very bold choice. Extremely bold. They looked like, um, I don't know if you know who J.C. Decker is, but he was this uh, gay illustrator in the 50s, and he drew for a bunch of advertisements. And the men that he drew were very dapper and stylish and muscular and you know, homoerotic without being completely out there. So it's kind of, there's some irony over the scene where she's saying, ain't there anyone here for love? And all these guys want to do is train with each other and sexy dance fight. (laughs) Uh, And it's filmed, I think it's filmed very well, the way that they track through each of the musical scenes in a way that's very cinematic and not just stagey. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I don't think this movie's bad. I just, I'm not into the aesthetic of the time. I'm not into, I think some of the musical number stuff just maybe doesn't have some of the energy and pep from the camera. The camera is very still in those, those shots and it is very kind of pulled back and just, uh, you know, let's just get this done in a few takes, go through the number a few times and we'll figure it out. I, uh, I don't know. I, I mean, you didn't find any of the writing to be clever. The writing, there were, there were some very clever moments. I did really like the, the, when Marilyn Monroe, when Lorelai sort of reverse bribed the maitre d character into making sure that that a certain rich person sat at her table because, you know, she threatened to eat at her 
room the whole time, thus taking away all the money he would be making off of her by sitting rich men at her table. And then the fact that it was a kid and the fact that they have that little gimmick of like wearing the blanket and piggy coming by and kissing the hand and the, what was it? Laryngitis or whatever. And the little kid says, stop that. that. Yeah. (laughs) And the little kid was so funny, man. He, you know, he, yeah, it it was good. Both of these movies used children characters effectively. And normally I hate children care. I, I love real kids, but I hate children characters and fiction with a passion because usually they're drawn in a way that's really annoying. And part of the joke is that this kid is a kid rather than an adult. And the way he conducts himself is as if he were an adult. And so it's it's part of the humor versus something that we're meant to take seriously. Nothing yeah. in this movie is meant to be taken seriously. No, no, nothing in this movie. But yeah, I. But maybe my favorite line of it was uh, when when uh, the cops are coming for Lorelai, and first of all, uh, Dorothy's first reaction is like escape through the window, which I thought was funny because clearly she's already done that. Like that is how she, you know, people escaping through windows. That's what you do on a boat. Um, and then she says, oh, that's so-and-so let's get him in here. It's Malone or something. And she goes, why? He wouldn't be able to boost me through the window any higher than you would. I thought that was pretty funny. Jane, uh, what's her name? Jane Russell. Jane Russell's a very tall lady. And so, so I thought that was funny how in the moment, Marilyn Monroe was basically like, our, our current objective is to boost me through the window you're the best person for that job because you are super tall. I thought that was pretty funny. She had some great lines. Like I, I really liked when Marilyn, when Lorelai says, I want you to be happy and stop having fun. (laughs) Yeah. I, or when, um, she can calculate the exact amount of time it'll take to extract $15,000 out of Mr. Esmond when uh dorothy asks her uh oh can you get can you get the money from esmond and she says it'll take an hour and 45 minutes yeah it was that you're right that is a very good part because she's got she's got this constant running calculator in her head where her seduction time equals profit and so yeah she knows and you know I think that people throw a lot of criticism and judgment towards women labeled as gold diggers. But at this point in American history, and I checked, women weren't even able to open their own bank accounts. Women, a woman couldn't open her own bank account until the 1960s uh, in the U.S. And then additionally, it, it was very difficult to establish a line of credit. So the fact that she received the letter of credit and didn't know what it was, was hilarious and timely because it just, if, if you wanted some kind of wealth or insurance as a woman, then it's probably in things that were given to you as gifts like diamonds. So you can rely on those when times get tough 
And when the stock market crashes, like it did in the twenties and like it did recently, uh, that you, you've got some, uh, collateral. Uh, yeah. I also thought it was very funny how she was just like line of credit. What? And then he basically explained it's like money and her ears perked up money. And then later, like, again, when you're talking about consistent character choices and humor coming from a character instead of just, oh, we think this would be funny for this character to say later when Malone mentions that he cuts coupons instead of Lorelai being disgusted and like, oh, you're so cheap, you cut coupons. She's kind of turned on by it. She's like, oh, coupons. Coupons are like money. I like money. I just thought that was so funny how she just like everything had a money equivalent in her brain. Um, Yeah. I I thought the coupon gag was pretty funny too. (laughs) I, I enjoy Lorelai's antics and I, I relate very strongly to Jane Russell. I mean, mm, what a woman, my kind of woman. (laughs) Yeah. She, she immediately, I mean, in, I know that what at what point in Marilyn Monroe's career was this? Was this This is very early. Jane Russell got Jane Russell got paid more than Marilyn did. Although Marilyn had issues getting paid all of her life, right? Like getting actually paid well for the films that she did. Um and those films making so much money. But yeah, Jane Russell was I think top billed here. And then Jane Russell has more songs and more screen time. Right. than Marilyn does. Uh, so this is pretty early into her stardom. Yeah, Jane Russell looks a little bit more comfortable and confident on screen, I would say. I don't know if I'm a huge... Like, I feel I feel bad saying it, but I don't know if I'm a huge Marilyn Monroe fan. I'm also not, like, a big James Dean fan. So I just don't know if maybe it's, like, an older thing. Or... I think that they're acquired tastes, yeah. I mean, either it's something for you or it's not. Uh, watching this movie again really made me think of, uh, have you ever seen um, Kristen Wiig as Shauna on SNL? Shauna? I don't know if I'm, I don't know. Who's that? This is uh, worth probably linking to from our page, but it's a skit that she does where she acts exactly like Marilyn Monroe and it's, you know, rendered completely ridiculous because she's doing it now in this time, except some guys are finding it sexy. It's just, uh, I, I, I don't know. I never get tired of Marilyn parodies. Uh, yeah, I definitely would be interested in checking that out. I think Christopher Wiig's <laughs> very funny, so. So I gotta ask, uh, who would you kill from this movie? Mm, I mean, it's a hard choice. I really don't fault anyone for being a quote unquote scumbag in this movie because everyone's meant to be a cartoon character, but maybe Malone. I just don't. I, uh, Malone, Malone makes a lot of very fast, quick judgments for the plot. A lot of his choices are based on, on what the plot needs him to do, which I'm fine with. I just thought maybe as a character, he could have, an extra little gimmick, something to spice him up. He just seemed a little bit too bland, especially for someone like Jane Russell to fall in love with. You know, it's, it's, I kind of had the problem that you had in uh, the lady Eve, right? 
is that's the one that's where, the, where the, the lady wasn't quite as challenged by the romantic lead male. Right. Yeah. Henry Fonda is definitely not as compelling as Barbara Stanwyck. Uh, and he, I mean, Malone is not more compelling than Jane Russell. I mean, falling in love with Jane Russell is the only good decision he made. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that I would probably go with, with Malone. It's not a strong killing. It's more of a mercy killing maybe, <laughs> but how about you? Uh, I would kill Piggy because he's just a despicable human being and the owner of a blood diamond mine. Uh, so he gots to go. Yeah. I do like the idea though. I mean, I wasn't like a huge fan of this movie, but I, I, I liked it. I like the idea of these two women going around having a cool friendship and they accidentally get involved in all of these weird heists and end up like solving the heist. I kind of pictured it almost like these women were like a mystery gang. And it's like, I would have gotten away with this heist if it weren't for you meddling dames. Like, I kind of like the fact that they're side characters to this heist and they end up solving the heist, but they don't really get rewarded for that. They just kind of go on their way. I would love that. I would watch the shit out of that. Yeah, like Quibi, get on it, man. Like little 10-minute Adult Swim bite-sized mini episodes of just strong, well-defined characters getting into hijinks. That's that's what I love about Scooby-Doo, and that's what I love about Howard Hawks women. Did Howard Hawks also did to have and have not, right? I don't know. It's too bad that we don't have a producer or engineer where I could go, Jamie, look that up. Yeah. I've just got these cats. Yeah, it's too bad. Their their little paws can't type it in. But we'll we'll just we'll wonder. But I think that Howard Hawks has had a career of turning actresses into their iconic roles. Yeah, he's an iconic director, for sure. And he's one of those directors that, I mean, I know I mentioned Billy Wilder earlier, but like... I love Billy Wilder. He's Howard Hawks is one of those directors that tackled every single genre. Like, it's impressive, because, you know, a lot of people just kind of get, you know, typecast as a director and like, oh, well, you just do horror movies, you just do action movies, but... Man, some of those guys back then, they would just do whatever they wanted. And it was crazy. It's crazy cool how sometimes a director from not their genre can spice things up. Right, right. No, I I think it's the same thing as you were saying with Billy Wilder. He's done a ton of great rom-coms along with great, you know, gritty films as well and noir and everything in between. Yeah. So how difficult was it to turn this cinema classic into a horror movie? Uh, I don't know if it was difficult, but I also didn't get into super specifics. So my mine is just much more of an outline, a vague outline. But I kind of, for each remake that I do, I kind of try to pick one specific theme or one 
scene or one character and just kind of extrapolate that thing into what would I think would be a cool movie. And so for mine, I don't really have a good title. I always kind of, my titles always go more towards like wacky titles. I just put monsters prefer blondes. So like, interesting. it, it doesn't really have anything to do with the, the story, but eh, it is what it is. But I have Lorelai and Dorothy are two women who get on this boat and they get on the boat for various reasons. They don't know each other. So they're they're meeting up for the first time. So they don't oh. already have a very strong, well-defined friendship. Um, so Lorelai is more or less tricked onto the boat. She is like a rich man's mistress. And she's like, he's you know, he's given her the sweet talk, but he's an obvious scumbag. But he's like, hey, if you come on this boat, I can take you to... And we're, we'll set it in like the 50s, right? So it's not a modern day retelling. It's just a, a 50s horror version of this movie. So he's like, hey, if you come with me on this boat, uh, then I'll, I'll take you over to Europe and I'll divorce my wife and we'll get married and we'll tour Europe and we'll do all this. Fe- like, we'll do everything you want, babe. Don't believe in Lorelai. No, no. But the guy sounds much more 50s. He does. Well, yeah, he sounds much more 50s, not like a guy from nowadays. And Dorothy is on the run. So she's like, maybe she had just stolen something or maybe like her boyfriend got in trouble with a gang or, you know, some kind of reason for her to get on a boat and be on the run. And so then once they get on the boat, they kind of, they're, they're both forced to stay down below and out of sight. And so they, they kind of stumble into each other and they start to meet each other and realize that even though they come from different worlds, they kind of have a lot in common. They both don't have a lot of options in terms of, like you said, women can't start their own business. They can't do this. They can't do that. So it's like, they don't really have a lot of options. So they're just trying to make it in this world. And that's now led to them being on the lower crummy decks of a boat hiding out. And so they're kind of talking about how they wish things could be better. And then while they're doing this, they kind of get shuffled around and bumped around and maybe they find themselves in places they shouldn't and they get mistaken for servants. So now it's like these two women who aren't servants are now having to serve rich people. And so maybe, you know, it's like an easy way for them to stay on the boat and kind of have easier access to go around the decks and not have to worry about getting caught. It's like, Oh, well we're servants. We're supposed to be here. Uh, And so you know, the, the, the boat is full of rich men and they're all jerks and they're all mean to them. And the women, again, they're kind of, maybe we can have a little bit more action where like the women are sassy back to the men because they're not really servants. So their job isn't really on the line. So there can be a little bit more, you know, comedy in terms of the class warfare and witticisms, things like that. But women on the boat start to end up getting murdered. What? What? Yes. And so here's the crazy thing is the murders. I don't have a a specific gimmick for the murderer, but they're, did you ever watch Hannibal the show? Yes. Okay. So the first two seasons of that show are fantastic. And it did jump the shark eventually. The third season, I'm not, I never finished it. I'm just not a fan of the third season. Uh, And I like the killers in Hannibal who have that gimmick or craziness where it's like, oh, if I kill you and I 
fiddle with your bones, then I, then you'll be my slave in heaven. You know, I, I like these serial killer characters who live in their, who live completely in their own little world, their own little fantasy. And the reason why they kill people has reasons, but it's just like to everyone else. It's just, no, this person's crazy. So people start ending up dead. Maybe certain people who are linked to other people end up dead in thematic ways. So like an explorer, maybe there's a rich and famous explorer on the boat and the women sneak into his room for whatever reason and they find a map and then the map leads them to like different body parts of the mistress of this explorer. So just weird like saw-like gimmicks of you know like oh you like to do drugs shawnee smith well i'm gonna give you a trap and you have to do all the drugs to get out like you know something like jigsaw would do yeah Uh, make them confront their sins right only instead this would be more like a seven i guess because he's not making the women confront their sins he's just straight up butchering them And so then, like, so there's just going to be a lot of detective stuff. The women have to find out who the murderer is. And as they try to get the attention of the rich people, the rich people are very keen to try to keep it on the down low. Because if this gets exposed, wait a minute, all of these women who are not their wives are getting murdered on this boat? Like, so the the rich people men have it more in their interest to keep this on the down low which makes things difficult for the ladies but ultimately i don't know how we're going to work it in but this boat is going to europe maybe it's got like a mummy on board you know the 1950s like a boris karloff type mummy sarcophagus thing and you know it could be going to like the museum of natural british whatever they got a lot of mummies over there that they took and uh so it's, you know, very much like a cursed thing. Like these rich men are just taking whatever they want. They, they took this sarcophagus. They're taking these women. And the women's plan to stop the mummy and the supernatural thing is like they have to get this book. And there's something really complicated. But then at the end of the day, maybe the monster destroys the book. So they're like, uh, shit. Okay, plan B. We're going to fucking sink the boat. And it's like, but what about all of these men on the boat and they're like uh fuck, fuck them that. <laughs> like let's destroy this monster and if the men don't want to listen to us fuck them so they sink the boat somehow and as the boat's sinking we can just have a lot of comeuppance moments of rich people getting killed in various monkey paw comeuppance ways and then as the boat's sinking the monster chases the women around and creates more problems But ultimately, the monster sinks with the ship, and then maybe, like, a lifeboat shows up and saves the women, and then, you know, it's kind of like a happy ending, but then we allude to the fact that maybe the monster has a twin brother. Still out there. Yeah, like, you know, the the monster's got some other ways to be monster for the sequel. But monsters, monsters prefer blondes. Just a movie, a very topical movie about rich people getting whatever they want. <laughs> I like that you made them detectives in your movie. Very nice. Yeah, very giallo too, right? Very the people who aren't detectives doing detective work. I, that's a that's a, a catnippy spice that I I will always go nuts for. Fair enough. Yeah, so I'm curious uh, which 
thread you pulled on to bring out the horror. Oh, well, uh, Lorelai and Dorothy are already best friends in my version. And I also riffed on the original title. And, you know, I thought, you know, gentlemen prefer blondes, but what do ladies prefer? So my title is What Ladies Prefer. And you're about to find out. I, I I promise I will answer this question. <laughs> Remember when it was like the Matrix had websites like whatisthematrix.com? And it yes. was all about what is the Matrix. Yeah, your your whole marketing campaign could just be what oh, do absolutely. You have a whole absolutely. you could have a whole hashtag based on that. Ladies prefer hashtag ladies prefer, and then you tweet out whatever you prefer. I think that that would be an incredible viral marketing campaign for this movie. And I feel like it is timeless, this topic, because there are no books about what men want and what men are like. Everybody knows what men are like. Women are an eternal mystery, and they will never stop publishing books for people and men to understand women. It's just... it. There will be endless content till the end of time because we're mysterious. At the same time, I do plan to answer this question. So before you start, you might already answer this, but is this going to be a 1950s or a modern day? 1950s. Gotcha. So I think similarly to my my women one, I, I like I like a focus on female friendships, but I like I like the aesthetics of the period. Mm-hmm. I love the way Technicolor looks, where it's you know it's not just red; it's redder than it actually Jungle probably red. was. <laughs> Jungle red. Uh, so, what ladies prefer? Lorelai and Dorothy are best friends, working as showgirls to support themselves and rise from poverty. But in a world controlled by men, the only way to get a leg up is to control them. Um, So that might be in the trailer, too. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Lorelai thinks she's struck the jackpot with Mr. Esmond, a wealthy regular. And Dorothy is happy for her. But then one night, Dorothy comes back to their shared dressing room to see Lorelai standing over Mr. Esmond with a knife in his chest. Dorothy asks what happened, and Lorelai says that Esmond was going to rape her. And Dorothy just believes her immediately and helps her hide the body. And Lorelai shares that Esmond was going to take her to France. So Dorothy tells her that they can use the travel as an excuse to escape the United States. Uh, And they fake Mr. Esmond's correspondence to make it look like he's accompanying them to France when he's actually dead, they take apart his body, they scatter it across New York, you know, just like the rear window guy. But Esmond Sr. is on to their shenanigans, so he sends a detective to discover the whereabouts of his son. So the detective follows Lorelai and Dorothy onto the ocean liner heading for France. On the boat, Lorelai discovers a new man to fleece, Lord Beekman. Um, and then also it's not long before Beekman seems to die accidentally, uh, when Dorothy comes into the room and discovers the body, Lorelai tells her that Beekman was pretending to be a snake and Lorelai 
defended herself by bashing him over the head. Uh, and then too late, they realize that they're being photographed, but they aren't able to learn the identity of the person taking photos. Mm-hmm. Trouble. Uh, and then later that night, they struggle to drag Beekman's large body overboard. And then they go to dinner like nothing happened. Uh, and Dorothy finds herself seated next to Ernie Malone, a handsome guy who appears interested in her. And then Lorelai, of course, already has a new mark. So I would say that in this version, Lorelai is kind of like a female Tom Ripley. I mean, she kind of already is a female Tom Ripley. She's right. she's impersonating a real person while just being obsessed with money and power. Um, So Dorothy is falling for Malone, uh, but then he gives her his jacket because she's cold. And in a classic reveal moment, she reaches into the pocket and finds the roll of film. uh, And then they go into his room and she confronts him about it. And then he claims that he knows that Dorothy is innocent. And it's it's clear that this is all Lorelai. Lorelai put you up to all this. But then that's when, Lore, that's when Dorothy pulls out a knife and says, you don't know anything about me. And she kills him and then tells Lorelai, we're in trouble. So just when you think that Dorothy is going to be the conscience and maybe up the whole movie up to this point, the way that she would play it is it's really ambiguous whether or not she believes Lorelai or if she's unsettled by the fact that all of these rich guys just end up dying um, for no reason. I kind of thought of um, a novel I read called My Sister, the Serial Killer, where these sisters one of them keeps stabbing guys and the other one keeps helping her cover up the crimes. And then by the seventh victim, her sister starts to doubt whether or not these are all accidents or her sister is just likes killing people. So similar vibe to this. We, you know, it, it becomes pretty clear. Lorelai just likes killing people, but what isn't clear until Dorothy kills Malone is she likes killing people too. Um, so Lorelai tells Dorothy that she can take care of this. They then fake Malone's correspondence back to Esmond Sr. And then they tell him that he needs to come to France. So because they've located his son, Esmond Sr. goes to Paris into the club where they're performing. He goes backstage, confronts them in their dressing room. We'll say that if I were doing a press junket, I'd be like, well, I really wanted the final scene to mirror the opening scene and return to the dressing room. Uh, Mm -hmm. (laughs) So they're in the dressing room. Um, Esmond Sr.'s making a speech about how he'd prefer if she never saw his son again. And he'd prefer never to go through this experience. He'd prefer this. He'd prefer that. There's a lot of preferring being thrown around and then dorothy says because she's the salty one you know i've heard a lot about what gentlemen prefer but nobody ever asks us ladies and then esmond senior says something like you're no ladies and then lorelei says well if you're asking me we'd really prefer if you'd shut the fuck up and then they start stabbing him and that's where the movie ends 
Whoa. They got away with it. Yeah, they just get away with it. I I like the fact that Lorelai and Dorothy don't change as people. And I decided to keep that element. Yeah, I definitely could see a version where that would where that would work. It's just maybe you think they're gonna get their comeuppance, but as an audience, you kinda don't want them to. And then it's like the movie's like, nope, we're just gonna give you what you want, which is Exactly. These characters murdering someone. (laughs) No. Uh, So your Dorothy and Lorelai solved the crime and my Dorothy and Lorelai committed the crimes. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fine line to walk. It's a hard line to walk. But having a movie full of bad guys as your main characters can it can work. I think you could pull it off. In these cynical times, I feel like people almost prefer the anti-hero. Right, yeah. Especially if you've got that Metacon. If you're killing rich people, I mean, no offense to rich people, but you guys make great cannon fodder in a horror movie. <laughs> so This is true. Um, so, yeah, I, I do. I like how we each had those different takes. We each I, had different I did. I'm just obsessed with the idea of there being a gentleman reboot where it's short 15 minute episodes of Lorelai and Dorothy just doing anything. Yeah, I'm down for hijinks. Do you think that Broad City is the gentleman of our time? I've only seen an episode, maybe two. I don't know. I'd have to go back and watch more of it. Do you, well, Why do you think it is? I don't know. I mean, there's definitely like female female comedic pairs that has a place for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And uh Dorothy and Lorelai are definitely near the top for I- iconic cinema girlfriends. Yeah, name a more iconic duo. Oh wait. <laughs> <laughs> While you're waiting, uh, maybe people. Sh- uh, I, I butchered that one, but that's a, it's okay. Are so, you? I'm, I'm trying to transition. <laughs> So <laughs> while you while you wait, uh, you might be waiting a while unless people know how to reach us, uh, which people can do by emailing emailing us at necromancerpodcast at gmail dot com, or you can follow us on Instagram at the Necromancer Podcast or on Twitter and Facebook at Necromancer Pod. Yeah, do the shares, do the likes, do the retweets, do the Let us know what you think. Yeah, reviews, all that good stuff. So, do you want to get into Love Bites? I can't wait to get into my Love Bite. I'm so excited to talk about it. Okay, tell us. Tell us what it is. What are you recommending this week? Okay. This is going to be one of my favorite Love Bites of all time. I'm recommending Sporks. Are you saying that you're recommending the eating utensil that is a combination between a spoon and a fork? That is exactly what I'm recommending. I don't have a lot of strong opinions when it comes to food and food cooking implements and things like that. But I have two very strong opinions. One is that toaster ovens are garbage 
they they are a microwave and a toaster and an oven only a crappier version of all three of those things i think toaster ovens are a waste i already have a toaster i already have an oven i already have a microwave those all work fine for me i don't need a crappier version of all three on the flip side sometimes i'm eating something with a fork and stuff just kind of spills over. And sometimes I'm eating stuff with a spoon, but I just need that extra little bit of stabby stab. And let me tell you, as an adult, I finally made a decision that I'm just going to buy my own silverware sporks. And I have not looked back since. This is one of the greatest decisions I've ever made. I love having sporks in the house. It's not I'm, just for plastic wear for restaurants 15 years ago. I've never seen a metal spork. You can order them online. You can, we have an eight pack that we ordered for under $10. It is one of the best decisions I have ever made in my life. I'm so happy. I, I, I grab my eating utensil, my fork or my spoon. And as I'm about to eat, I think, you know, what would be better is a spork. And then I think, oh, wait a minute. I have a spork. Let me go get it. And then I eat my meal and it, it's perfect. I have nothing spilling over. I've got no problem stabbing things. I mean, a spork is not a replacement for a fork and a spoon. You definitely—I'm not going to eat cereal with a spork. But oh you my could. god! I, I mean, I could, but I'm not a monster. How? I don't prefer blondes. How long are like the tines on a metal spork? Are they longer than the spork than the plastic spork? I can't say it, but the tines on a spork are so small, they're incapable of stabbing anything. Does the metal improve that function? The ones that I have, yes. They're they're not, it, it's a nice, I, I, got a, I got a good spork. <laughs> Shira, I got a good spork. My spork has the perfect tine length. It is, it's not too short. It's not too big. It's just right. I, I'm telling you, I, I don't, I mean, I know. The Goldilocks of uh, silverware. It's, it's, oh, it's so good. It is, I know that there are people out there who are too embarrassed to admit that there are plenty of times where they have been alone in their house and wish they had a spork, but they just never did anything about it. And I'm telling you. You don't have to worry about what other, like, right? You go to a dance club and what do people tell you? Don't worry about, no, no one else is watching you. Don't worry about how you eat your food in your own house. I'm telling you, get a spork. Best decision you'll make all year. Well, I have never had these thoughts, but I will not spork shame you. Thank you. I know. I know that it's an unconventional love bite, but. It it's improved most... my biting game, my my chewing game for sure. <laughs> it is definitely the most unconventional love bite since you recommended cats. Yeah, which I still think is a great recommendation. I, I am I am team cat for sure. Team Quattro's Gato. So how about you? What uh <laughs> So I'm back to my themes, and gotcha. since the theme is book to screen, for this love bite, I am recommending a book that I wish was a movie, but has not been optioned or adapted or in the process of being adapted yet, as far as I know. It is a book called When Dimple Met Rishi by Cynthia Manon, 
And it is about uh, these two Indian kids who meet up at a summer coding camp, except Dimple does not know that Rishi is coming because their parents have set them up to be on an arranged date. So when they initially meet, he meets assuming that she knows that they're about to go on a date, whereas she has never seen this person before and she throws her iced coffee at them. So they have this really fun rom com meat disaster, which I think would be very cinematic. Uh, and it's just a very cute story and I think it would make a really great movie and Netflix should get at it. Do you have, if you were playing producer, do you have any actors in mind who would fit the bill or no? Probably unknown simply because, you know, there aren't as many Asian and South Asian actors that are getting noticed. So anybody that I can think of is already aged out of the role of the characters. So I would probably take a chance on on a couple of unknowns. Gotcha. Yeah. Interesting. So that's mm. my love bite when Dimple met Rishi. And it's a really fun, cute little book. And I would recommend in general that if you don't have that much time to read or you have a hard time focusing on reading, try out Audible, try out audiobooks because they can be a good way to digest a book without having to commit to sit, sitting down and just reading for an hour or more. Uh, I definitely love audiobooks, but I cannot recommend Audible until they give me money because I know that they give podcasters money. So until they start giving me money, I'm not going to recommend them. Well, Audible, if you're listening, we would love if you gave us money. I I am a subscriber of Audible Escape. I'm already giving you money. So what? it's only fair if I get a little money back. That's how this, this is works. The, this is all in the name of research, Brett. You have to understand I need to learn what's out there in terms of romance so that I can write my own romance plots better. No, I hear you. I... I hear you. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess let us close the book on this movie for now. Ooh. <laughs> the end. Necromancer is produced by Brett Dorman and Shira Moore. The theme song is Symphonia 3 by Kevin McLeod on the album Oddities.